Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standing Room Only Podcast. Yes, I am your host, Ben Standing, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic. It's a bye week here in the DMV, but we are still cranking out the podcast and cranking out our weekly interviews with former Washington head coach Jay Gruden. Uh, Jay and I just spoke a few moments ago. We, we didn't really dive into the Giants game. I think we have a lot of time to do that again next week, of course, when these teams meet. But we did go through what is it that has led Washington to be in position to have uh, to, to be in the wildcard mix, to be in the postseason mix. What's been the turnaround and then what's the biggest concern? Those are some of the topics we got into along with sort of the broad look at at where the playoff picture is around the league, the idea of perception for be it coaches or quarterbacks, how perception still drives so much of the conversation. And even in this money ball era where you try to use analytics to sort of help define what's actually happening. It's a perception is such a fascinating topic. And it was one I was uh, happy to get into with a guy who has been in the mix and Jay Gruden. So we'll get to all that. In a moment here on the podcast, which of course you can find on iTunes, Spotify, or anywhere you do your podcasts. Uh, in addition to that, uh, you can of course subscribe on The Athletic. I have this week sort of going through the, the first uh, 14 games, not so much the game by game or anything, but like my view position by position of what's been going on here with this team. Where what do I see going on with each group? Uh, for the quarterback one, I, my my main focus was essentially that it seems odd to me that we're having these conversations now about whether Heineke can that that whether Heineke has enough to 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 successfully uh, get this team where where people want it to go, even though people are acting like they can't, and I'm like, well. That was the whole point. That's why they went and sought a quarterback in the offseason. Like in Heineke, say whatever you want about Heineke. It's not nothing is changing there. He is who he is, which is a guy that's you know, he can win games. We see that. He's also limited with the ceiling. We see that. Nothing has changed yet. We're all having this debate now about is something going to change? It's odd, but in any event, I it's curious. It's fun to discuss. So I wrote about that. On the defensive side, I would just say that my Main focus it wasn't so much the, the the stars on the defensive line, but how the supporting cast, along with new D line coach uh, Jeff Scanina, have more than held up their end of the deal, and that's helped allow John Allen, Deron Payne, and Montez Sweat to flourish. Um, and because you know, remember when the year started, I think for a lot of people, a big concern was did they have enough pieces to to replace Chase Young and give you that extra element off the bench the way you know you, a lot of teams have that third pass rusher or so on. And there was a lot of questions about that. And, you know, I, I think those guys have more than held up. So those are some of the topics I got into in these recaps. You can read those on the athletic. The defensive one will be up at some point on Wednesday. Um before we get to the Jay interview, so just a couple of housekeeping notes. So we're still waiting on some of the injury updates for sure. Um, of course, because they're on a bye week, they don't have to tell us anything. There's no injury report this week. From what I've been told, uh, center Tyler Larson, 
The fear is that he dislocated his kneecap. Um, uh, it's unclear what that means, though, in terms of his status, availability, you know, being end of the season ending certainly seems like a potential outcome, if not a likely outcome, but I don't know that any final decision has been made on that. Either way, you likely you would think that Washington will be looking at a new center uh, when they re, uh, replay the Giants. Nick Martin replaced uh, Larson when they uh, in this game, but West Schweitzer now being back, you would think that that's probably the way they would go. But that assumes that Sam Cosme is able to play in um, in week 15, or they would have to go to Trey Turner if he's able to go, or they turn to Sadiq Charles, or they leave Schweitzer at guard and, and put um, Martin at center. So these are some of the options they're going to have to deal with. I think me personally, I mean, look, if, if Cosme can go, I'd still go that route with Schweitzer at center. But we'll see how that goes. There's also Montez Sweat getting checked out for a concussion. My initial sense is it's not an issue, but obviously concussions can be tricky, so I don't want to assume anything, but my initial sense is it's not a major concern. We saw him in the locker room postgame, and um, he seemed pretty pretty cool. It didn't seem like he was uh, under any type of uh, you know duress, so hopefully that's good news there. Then, of course, Benjamin St. Juice, is he going to be able to be back by the time they return? And then, of course, the Chase Young thing. I uh, Part of what I also was writing about this week, uh, for this story that I mentioned was, even now, like, I, I don't know what the deal is with the national media being obsessed with trying to put Chase Young in the lineup when it's clearly not been ready. I mean, we've talked about this here forever, and, I, 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 you know, I, I I I don't know. I look, he's a big name. Everybody wants to sort of get get their get their hooks into this story. I know for us, for my for my place, we have like a breaking news group that you know. Obviously, if a story comes out, that they, they help us get that out quickly while the reporters are gathering the information. Um, I'm, we contribute with the writing as well. But uh, we've written a bunch of different updates on Chase Young because it's like oh. You know, he's, he's getting close to practicing. Up, oh, he's been activated for his 21-day window. Up, oh, he uh, is getting ready to go. There was the Adam Schefter report a few weeks ago about how, you know, he'll be, you know, after, what was it, after the Philly game, he'll be ready to go for the next game, and then he wasn't, and this keeps going. And even now, after he doesn't play in New York, even though Ron Rivera said it had nothing to do with the turf, or at least that was what he was saying before the game, still doesn't play. We still have a, a, a national report saying, He'll be ready for the next game. And I, I listened to Ron Rivera talk the, on Monday. He did not say that. He did not say that Chase Young will definitely be out there. He said they still need to, you know, see that he's got confidence in this knee and that, uh, you know, he's, um, you know, feels good about going out and doing what they need to do. And that basically the doctors have said at this point, the only way to prove that he can do it is to go do it. So, We'll see if he's able to go when they play the Giants next. If he's not, then I think, you know, this is a whole new story. I mean, it's already a questionable story about why is it taking so long? And I'm not getting into the doctors or was there a setback or things like that. I mean, maybe we'll find out things down the line. But just in terms of right now, the idea of Chase Young helping this team at all this year, if he's not out there, 
Sunday, or you know, when they come back on that Sunday night, you know, we 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 will have a lot more questions about what happened here. But in any event, again, that's why they've been fortunate that the James Smith Williams, Casey Two Hills, F.A. Albatas have by and large held up and and given them enough um, flexibility to, to to sit Chase Young and not feel like they are um, in desperate need, even though he would be, you know, a, a potential an upgrade from a potential standpoint at a minimum uh, for this year. Uh, other than that, I mean, I think now we're just going to watch this week and see what happens. The Giants are hosting the Eagles. Needless to say, you know, it's a huge one for Washington. If the Giants lose, then these two teams would be, New York and Washington would be tied going into the rematch. If the Giants win, now all of a sudden this game becomes like triply more important for Washington uh, because they will uh, – you know, be a, a game back of the Giants with the, you know, and if the Giants were to win this uh, rematch, then obviously it would be two games in the standings and really kind of th- three in the um, in the loss column because the Giants would own the tiebreaker. So huge. And of course, it goes reverse the other way as well for Washington. So huge uh, game this week to watch, uh, no doubt. And then, of course, Seattle as well. Is the other team in the in the wild card mix to consider? Um, all right, let's uh, let's get to it. Uh, we'll get here to my interview with Jay Gruden again. Just make sure you subscribe to this podcast, subscribe to the Athletic, and of course, follow me on Twitter at Ben Standing. Oh, I did forget to mention. Sorry about that. I, I I've not been doing mailbags this year. I don't know why. Maybe because I I talk to so many people on Twitter. I feel like I'm answering questions there. But we do have a mailbag open on The Athletic, and I tweeted out um, a link as well, so you can go to those places, particularly the website, and ask me questions about you know what's going on with the team this year, what's the prognosis going forward, the quarterback situation. You can try to answer some ownership stuff that's been quiet of late. Um, and, you know, whatever. You want to get me, get me on other topics? I just rewatched Lost. You can ask me about Lost. Um, I watched The Watcher. I watched Andor. I, I know clearly I'm all about TV shows. Even in my conversation with Jay Gruden, we talked about Moneyball. I kept referencing the movie, not the book. Don't judge me. Um, all right. Uh, here we go. Here's my conversation with Jay Gruden, sort of put getting a sense of where Washington is at the bye week here on the Standard Room Only podcast. All right. Uh, the commanders may be on a bye this week, but uh, Jay Gruden is hard at work trying to help us break down what is going on with the commanders, he is with me here. He's a very patient man uh, because I was a l- little bit late this morning getting to us. Uh, I don't know if you ever have these issues, Jay. I, I have had sleep issues for months. I cannot figure out how to stay asleep, basically. And uh, for whatever reason, today I blew past the alarm. So I was kind of happy for that, but that meant I was a little late here. That's sometimes a good thing when you have trouble sleeping to get that extra 30, 40 minutes in the morning. Sometimes, uh, sometimes the, I, 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 you you have any ideas? I, I, I've asked everybody else. I should ask you, like, I can't sleep more than like three or four hours without waking up. You, you have any remedies? Uh, I mean, you're, you're, you're a coach. You've, you, you've had like crazy hours. You've had to sleep. You probably don't sleep more than three or four hours in a row back, uh, when you were, uh, on, on, on the grind like that, I guess. Yeah. No, it was impossible to sleep back, back when you were working all those hours because you always felt like, you had to do something. You had a different idea pop through your head. So now I'm 
figuring out ways to sleep a little bit longer. I get about five hours of sleep a night now, which feels really like an eternity compared to what I used to get. <laughs> Did you ever have, was ever like a eureka moment? I think I heard once that like Keith Richard supposedly like in the middle of the night woke up, jotted down something, some some musical no- thought on his head, jotted down, and then when he woke up, it, it turned into a satisfaction, I want to say, like the, 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 the baseline for that. You ever had to wake yeah. up at like, three in the morning, you're like, oh my God, I just dreamed the best play? Yeah, yeah, it's happened. Um, I don't know if the play actually worked, but I have had ideas <laughs> pop in my head. <laughs> what was the yeah. play? Do you, do, you remember, do you remember one? No, heck no, I don't remember. I just remember a lot of nights your mind is scrambling, whether it's about a player, whether it's about a play, whether it's about a protection, a blitz, whatever it might be. Uh, the next morning you think about it, and then you're like, what was I thinking? Sometimes you're like, you know, that was a bad dream. Or sometimes, wow, that is a good idea. So it works both ways. <laughs> Yeah, no, no, no doubt. Well, um, I don't want to so much like talk about the Giants game that just happened in part because next week we'll have a chance to sort of look ahead to that game and, and get back into this this wacky rematch situation. Um, but I will just ask this, I guess, a tie. Uh, I know you had the one in London, but like in general, like it was weird. I, I wasn't at the London game, but I was here at this game and it was weird. Like nobody knew how to process it. Uh, somebody involved in a game like texted me like, you know, what a waste of an afternoon, um, you know, yeah, stuff like yeah. that. Like what, what's the feeling like when you get out of a tie? It's a weird feeling. I think I remember saying, I didn't even know you could tie in football and everybody thought I was an idiot for saying that, but I just meant that it doesn't happen very often that you don't ever, ever think about how to react after a tie. You know, you're, you're disappointed that you didn't accomplish the goal you set out to accomplish, but you're not totally upset because you didn't lose. It's just a weird feeling. And it's not the end of the world, but uh, you still feel a little empty, so to speak. So, um, you know, being at there battling with Seattle, San Francisco, and the Giants for that playoff spot, a tie is not necessarily a, a terrible thing. Yeah, I mean, it's, on top of the fact that a tie is a neutral outcome by by definition, they go on a bye week. So, like, at least the Giants can sort of like, all right, they're already mo- moving on to the Eagles and they're going to move forward. These guys are kind of stuck in this, like, uh, wait, what just happened here? What kind of a deal? And then they're playing the same team again. So I, yeah. I, I it's the weirdest uh, combination of events. But I guess to a degree, as from a coach perspective, is it almost like the best scenario of this team's been riding high? They're feeling good. If they had won and gone to a bye, they might start thinking they're invincible or something. I don't know. Versus, all right, we didn't lose, but now they're going to feel like they maybe left something on the table. So maybe there's some silver lining there of uh, focus and motivation in the bye week? I think they'll have plenty of motivation because they're right there, you know, and to get in the playoffs. And they play the same team, a division rival at home on Sunday night football. So I don't think motivation will be an issue. Um, I think being able to watch, take a step back, take a few days off, watch what the Giants do against the Eagles will be uh, enough motivation for them to get ready to get prepared for another game against the Giants. Um, all right, so – Speaking of that, like you said, they're in the mix, clearly. It's 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 bizarre. I mean, technically right now, this week, they fell out of the top seven seeds, but because Seattle won their game, but regardless, they're right there. They're they're really only eight teams essentially vying for these spots, and, and they're one of the teams in the wild card spot. Um we're all trying to put our finger throughout this stretch of what has sparked this turnaround. I think for me, the return of Brian Robinson in week five. I think really turned out to be is for me like maybe I don't know if it's the number one difference, but it might be because this team is set up 
to be a, a complimentary football team. The run game has helped control the clock. It's taken pressure off whoever the quarterback is, in this case, Taylor Heineke, who's probably better suited for this type of style than Carson Wentz is, who really wants to go for it. But it's also given the defense time to, to relax because or rest because they're not constantly on three and outs on offense. And the defense has obviously played better. And Robinson is also the, the way he runs. It's like tone setting. You know, he's so running so hard. So like to me, the, the, the focus on the run with Robinson back, I think has really kind of sparked a lot of this, but what say you, what's the thing uh, for you, big, small, whatever it is that you really have like kind of taken notice of during this stretch or really kind of think sparked uh, this turnaround. Well, I think it's the nail on the head, really. I think I go back to when we were six and three with Alex Smith. We were playing very similar style. We were running the football effectively and and playing good field position. And and uh, if we punted, we backed the team up, and our defense was playing good enough. And that's what they're doing now. They're not getting many explosive plays. Uh, they're running the football at Brian. Um, they're controlling the clock. They're not asking Heineke de- to do too much. And their defense is playing very good football, winning football, which is key. And they're for the most part protecting the football. So. Uh, those are great keys. That's a great way to win football games. You don't have to have splash plays. You don't have to have 50, 60-yard games. It would be nice, but there are other ways to win, and they're finding out ways to do that, playing good defense, being able to run the football, really playing well on both sides of the ball at the line of scrimmage at the point of attack. And that's offensive line, getting enough movement for Robinson to get four or five yards on first down, and defensively to – uh, stop the run uh, for the most part and get after the quarterback. And that's that's the key to football to me. If you don't have those marquee-type players at quarterback, you better play well to line of scrimmage on offense and on defense, and that's what Washington's doing now. You know, they it was sort of lost in the game, but they, they, they had time of possession for over 40 minutes for the second time during the stretch, and it didn't feel as good, I guess, this time as the way it, I think it was the Eagles game. They did it the first time when they kept scoring because here they had like back-to-back drives of 14 minutes and zero points, but it allowed the defense to stay on the field as long as they wanted. Jonathan Allen only set out one play, which was the, he had a career high snap percentage. And I heard him say in a radio interview that, you know, he, yeah, he only sat out one play, but he wasn't playing as much and he got a lot of rest. So this is how the, 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 you know, the, the, the ebb and flow of this whole thing is supposed to work. And, uh, you know, it's a good example um, of that, uh, you know, you mentioned Alex Smith. Isn't it funny? At least to me, I think he's always when he was playing, even at the peak of his career, it always felt like people wanted more. They're like, okay, he's good, but he he's not the same type of passer in this era that we're in. Where he's going to throw the ball for three hundred fifty yards. He's a game manager, all that stuff. And I, now in this year, where so many teams are just like turning to the run, Alex Smith would be the perfect quarterback. It feels like because. He can make plays with his arm, but also with his legs and is a, you know, doesn't seem to have the, 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 the ego to have to say, I got to throw the ball all over the place. I get to stay with any offense. That seems like the perfect quarterback now. Yeah, exactly right. And there's a lot of merit to having quarterbacks like that, you know, that don't turn the ball over, that can use their legs to escape pressure, that just continue to find ways to move the chains and uh, defenses play with Alex Smith, love Alex Smith because they get a lot of rest because he's going to get first downs and teams are going to run the ball. He's going to hit the check down and he did hit the check down. And um, yeah, he just, uh, he frustrates the heck out of defensive coordinators because they dial up a good blitz and he'll escape and run for the first down or he'll, they drop eight. He'll figure out ways to find the check down and hit the correct guy. And uh, plus he's a great leader and, and quarterbacks like that are, are uh, sometimes undervalued because of their inability to make the huge plays. But, Coaches love them, uh, players love them, and you can win a lot of games with them. 
But do you think, I mean, we're in this era right now where people are trying to figure out what's the quarterback market looking like. I don't mean market meaning free agents. I just mean like really good players in the NFC in particular. We see there's a lot of questions or a lot of quarterbacks who are surprising in here. Do you think that in the end of the day, going into next year, the people, the teams really will be more open. Alex Smith is probably a bad example because he's a, he was a pro bowl level quarterback, but like, you know, having those types of guys, we've talked about this a lot with like Heineke, because I would imagine, I think the perception is that offensive coordinators want fun quarterbacks. They want to be able to throw out all their pass plays. The owners want this too, because it's more exciting to throw the ball all over the place versus run, run, run. But do you think teams will be or will be willing to embrace this beyond just this sort of one-year turn? Uh, I, I believe so, because, you know, it's one thing to say, hey, let's throw it all over the field. But it's another thing to say, hey, can we protect? And there's not a lot of great offensive linemen, like five of them on one team, you know what I mean? Some teams have two good offensive linemen, maybe three. Uh, very few teams in the NFL have five good offensive linemen that can protect for the time needed to let these deeper plays develop. So having a quarterback that can move is very, very important nowadays. Having a quarterback that knows where his outlets are, his checkdowns are, is accurate and efficient and on time is critical nowadays in this era of football because the pass rushes, the blitzes are, are sometimes a little bit better than what teams can do to protect. So, you know, you see Washington uh, against the Giants the other day. They really had a lot of trouble with Wink Martindale's blitzes, the blitz packages, the odd fronts, the overloads. Um, Heineke was getting hit a lot, and he scrambled out the fourth and four play. If he wasn't able to move on that play, the game's over. Uh, so you got to have some movement with your quarterback. Uh, you got to be able to run the football and control the line of scrimmage to help protect your quarterback from these defensive fronts and blitzes. That fourth down play really is like sort of the epitome of Heineke. Because it was kind of a frustrating day watching him. I mean, I'm not for me, but just like in general, you can kind of tell a lot of overthrows. Just nothing was really happening, and then he makes that play. You're like, wait, you're running, you're running left. You're going to throw back right. <laughs> you got to avoid everything. You, know, you avoid these pass rushers, and you somehow get at the Curtis Samuel to move the chains. Throws them, and two plays, three plays later, he gets Dotson, and they, and they tie the game like that. That that it almost seemed like that was like the epitome of the Heineken experience on that one play. Yeah, exactly right. Um you know, it's not always going to be pretty with him, but he will have the ability to make those splash plays every now and then with his legs and his ability to compete and move outside the pocket. And um, That's a necessary uh, uh, issue to have with you. That's a necessary skill to have with your quarterback nowadays. Um, all right. So we're talking about like what's been made, what's made this turnaround happen. What's the concern? What, what, what do you see as, you know, again, biggest, whatever, but like for you, what jumps out as, Here's where I'm worried that Washington may not have enough in the end for whatever the reason. Is there so, what, what, what kind of jumps out to you for that? Oh, no doubt the, their passing game. Uh, when it's a known pass, third down and eight to ten, uh, if they fall behind in a game, if they play like a team like Philly or Dallas and they fall behind and they have to pass it uh, and they have to protect the quarterback, I don't think it can happen. Um, that's the biggest issue. Now, if they stay – close in the game where they're able to run the ball and, and, and uh, do those things and play actions and, and things of that nature, then, yeah, then they have a chance against everybody. But if they fall behind at all and they get known passing situations, it's going to be a long day like it was against Dallas. Yeah, no, I, and, and I, I was doing a radio hit uh, on on Tuesday and uh, my, my weekly stint in uh, with uh, uh, 980 and uh, they the producer asked a question like, hey, this was a game where – they got Terry McLaurin involved and Samuel and Jahan Dotson. Like, this is how you want to do it, right? Why don't they do this more often? And I was like, well, I mean, the 
he, he threw the ball over 40 times. Like the, the, that, that's not what they want to do. He, that's all the first game he started. He threw it over like 32, 33 times. Since then, it was all in the twenties. And this is what they want to do. If he's throwing in the forties, it may feel better because you're getting <laughs> more passes to those receivers, but that's not what they want to do. That's not where they're going to have their most success. I mean, they were fortunate, obviously, and, and good on Heineke in particular to get that last drive. But that's not what they want to do because you're right. The more they throw, the more this is going to be uh, dicey. And it also means they're probably losing, which is what was happening in the second half of this game. Yeah, and that's true. And, and they have trouble protecting in those situations. Uh, you know, the edges are pretty dirty. And, uh, you know, up front with the center issues they have and the right guard issues they have, they have a lot of people coming <laughs> free up the middle. Uh, that's that's they're not good enough to protect in known passive situations. Now they can on first, second down, do the play actions where, you know, they get the linebackers to step up and they get McLaurin behind the backers from time to time. That's all well and good, but known passing situations, uh, they're not very good at protecting. Um, and a lot of teams aren't very good at protecting known passing situations. See a lot of teams struggling, not just Washington in those situations. I have a completely random question. I just thought about mentioning pass protection. A week or so ago, I think we were all bored in the media room and we were discussing random things. And one thing was, oh, I know what it was. Tressway was the special teams player of the month for October. Joey Sly was special teams player of the month for November. So we were joking, like, what would it take for the long snapper to ever be, get the special teams player of the month award? You know, And uh, and uh, one, one scenario was, well, what if he actually has to go play offense or something? And I... I I, I randomly asked Scott Turner on the side, could Cameron Cheeseman, the long snapper, play offensive line? Or like, if you had to, you're down to four guys, would you use him? He's like, no, we would go with John Bates. What? what why don't long snappers, are there no long snappers who can play offensive line? Not that I know of, no. Most of these guys are not very big because they have to run down and cover a punt. You don't want a 290-pound long snapper to snap it and then have to run down and try to tackle uh Cordero Patterson or a punt returner. <laughs> Most of these long snappers don't make a lot of tackles anyway, but they do have to become a presence down there as far as covering a kick. And and I did fail to mention that part of the resurgence of Washington is the special teams. You know, the kicker's doing well, and obviously Tress Way has been amazing. Um, at the end of a game, when you don't mention the special teams, that's a good thing. That means they're playing well. You know what I mean? There's no block punts. There's no uh, roughing the kickers. There's no long punt returns given up or kick returns given up. When you're playing good, solid, sound special teams, that helps your defense. That helps your offense as well. And, and Washington's been exceptional. Um, Nate Katzer does a great job with special teams there. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I always buy the line. It's one-third of the game. I'll leave that up to you to determine that math. But obviously, like you said, it's a huge deal, especially when you're a team that's having to play ball control, play defense. You know, the Browns, your defense field position is huge, and you got to take advantage of scoring however you can, whenever you can. And they have been able to uh, – to do that do you buy is that one third thing that is it come on that's not oh, real right yeah no it's just real it's 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 real you, you never know that until you have a bad special teams performance <laughs> you, sure. you know you miss a couple field goals and you have a kick blocked uh you know you give up a big punt return um those things uh really flip the momentum of a game those are huge plays throughout the course of a game if you can eliminate giving up the big play in special teams uh your chances of winning go way up as opposed to the flip side your chances of winning go way down when you give up big plays on special teams. Uh, on the flip side of of uh, chances, when when you when your quarterback gets hurt, typically you have a problem. And there's for a lot of quarterback injuries this past week, including Jimmy Garoppolo and and the Forty ers have now gone from like being feeling like the favorite in the NFC to 
lot of uncertainty because they're going now to the kid Brock Purdy, uh, the last pick in the draft. They also just signed your guy, Josh Johnson. So I don't know what that means, but he's played for everybody. Um, when obviously it's great to have a backup who can come in and step out, but you know, Heineke has done that for these guys. But in general, you go from the high of having this quarterback to either at minimum massive uncertainty, if not some level of depression. Like, how <laughs> when you see all these quarterbacks get hurt, it's also Lamar Jackson got hurt. Um, yeah. I'm forgetting some others, I think, but like, what what is that? When you see that, what's going through your mind as a guy who has to, you know, has had to rely on these on these uh, quarterbacks and seeing them uh, go down like that? Well, it's 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 hard. It's impossible to really tell how much a starting quarterback means. Uh, it depends on the guy. Obviously, if the Bills go from Josh Allen to whoever, it's going to be a major issue. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, Grappolo to Brock Purdy. You know, Grappolo is more of a short passing game, game manager type guy. Maybe it won't have that big of an impact, but I imagine it will because if you look at Kyle's record with and without Jimmy Grappolo, it's quite different. You know what I mean? You look at Bill Belichick's record with Tom Brady, without Tom Brady, it's, it's quite different. And Mike Tomlin with and without Ben Roethlisberger, just check it out. It's it's quite different. <laughs> you know, the quarterback means a great deal to your football team. When Lamar went down last year, they lost four in a row. Um, so um, the impact a very good quarterback can have on your franchise is is ginormous. It's the biggest impact a player can have in any pro sports team uh, anywhere, no matter what anybody says. I, that's just the way I feel. Now, if you have a quarterback that's a you know a marginal type guy, and you have a decent backup, and they and they get hurt, then sure, still function like Heineke and Wentz. There's not a whole lot of difference between them. Wentz is obviously a better passer, more skilled quarterback, but Heineke gives you a lot other intangibles, so you can function. Um, other teams may feel the same way about their guy, but when a premier, top-notch quarterback goes down, a leader of your football team. The backup comes in. You say, "Okay, just manage the game until he gets back." But if it's a long injury, um, it's it's going to have a major impact on your team. You know the the Brady Belichick con- debate, like you know who was more responsible for um, that success. These are the things that we on the outside debate. You're in the you you know you're you're in the mix of all this stuff. So you, you know you're worrying about the actual game. We're wondering s- things like that. Um, that one year when Brady got hurt in the first game and Matt Castle came in and they still went yeah. uh, 11 and 5. Yeah. I feel like that year kind of made it for a long, long time that it's more Belichick than Brady because he was able to have success with the guy. Matt Castle's fine, but, you know, kind of a average. Lost in the first round of the playoffs, right? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, in, right. So, but now towards the end, it, 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 it felt like it started to surge. And then when Brady goes, to Tampa and wins the Super Bowl, and then New England has not been as good. I think it's now kind of flipped the other way. I, I, I'm not so much asking you to weigh in on Belichick Brady, but to that end, like that is, is is that the thing that the quarterback is ultimately the guy on the field and is the more valuable, even if it's a coach like Belichick, because you can't re- you can't easily replace it. Yeah, I have nothing against Bel- Belichick's obviously a great coach. He's the best coach in the history of the football, probably, but he's a better coach with Brady than he is without Brady. Okay. So make sense of that. Whatever that means. He's a great defensive coach. He uh, understands the game, um, clock management, all that stuff. He's top notch, but he's a better coach with Brady. Uh, he's not as good a coach without Tom Brady. So uh, that's just the way I feel. And, and I think a lot of people say the same thing. I mean, coach Tomlin is an amazing football coach, but he's a hell of a lot better coach when ben, big Ben's running out of the tunnel than um, Pickett right now. So, <laughs> yeah. so, I mean, it's just the way it is. Uh, personnel, 
I used to say a lot of times it's not about the plays, it's about the players. And when you have great players, they'll make up for some bad play calls. You know, you see Josh Allen, Mahomes, you see guys covered all the time and they run for 20 yards or they stiff arm and jump over piles and uh, Mahomes slam dunks the ball in the end zone yet last week. Um, great players will make great plays and they'll make up for coaches' uh, inadequacy. So um, when you don't have those great players, Coaches have to be perfect. The play has to be perfect. It's a lot harder to coach. You can still win games. Don't get me wrong. Coaches do make a difference, but it is a lot easier when you have a great sugar man. You know, to, to that point of like how we how we perceive certain coaches. And look, obviously, even if you have star players, you got to know how to manage them, and and you still have to have the, you know run the whole team and and you know keep them in check or whatever. But some coaches. You know, it's it seems like they can do no wrong, and other coaches seem to just never get the full credit. Does it ever? I, I imagine it drives you crazy on some level, or yeah. you're at least curious about it. Watching why some guys seem to get praised no matter what, and other guys, it's like eh, they can never do right. Yeah, I mean, the media has their ways of uh, of really protecting the guys they want to protect for whatever reason, and and go after the guys that they want to go after. Uh, there's a lot of good coaches in pro football. There's a lot of good coaches that have been fired. There's a lot of average coaches that have kept jobs for a long time, in my opinion. But the the whole thing is you got to win as a coach in the NFL. There's no doubt about it. You can't make any excuses about personnel because you should have the ability to make changes to your personnel and, and adjust to the personnel you have. That's your that's a job of a coach. Not every coach is going to be granted five or six pro bowlers on offense or three or four or five on defense. You know, you have to make do with what you have. and that's what coaching is all about. And if you fail to do that or fail to get wins like I did, then you'll be sitting in Florida uh, getting ready to go play golf. <laughs> um, well, look, you know, you, you're, you know, I, I know you'd rather be on the sidelines or in the booth, but you're, you're, you're doing all right over there. Uh, but per, you know, did you ever see, I, I don't know, did you ever see the movie Moneyball or read the book or just yeah. have like, yeah. So, you know, I think the, obviously it's a very interesting dynamic yeah. about like how, how it influenced not just even sports, but just life in general. How the the idea of like find you know not just assuming or or thinking this is what we should do, having some data to say no 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 no, this is what you should do in some ways. And what I did, I thought the movie, the best part of the movie on some level was explaining how it eliminates perception as an ish, as a topic. The, the the situation here with Washington is a good example. A quarterback Taylor Heineke's perception is this like you know little runt of a guy. Coming off his sister's couch, he's un- he's undersized. He's this, he's that, and yet he comes in and makes plays, and nobody wants to act like it's actually happening. It's like, eh, you know, it's not a real thing because he doesn't meet other criteria. Where a guy like Wentz is probably still going to get a lot of chances, even though, like you're saying, the gap between them may not be the better or maybe huge because he has more prototype size and all that stuff. Um, perception, though, in general, same thing with like with the coaches. Is what you're saying perception really is it's hard to shake sometimes as to how we think about people not just sports of course just life in general you know think about people in your office or your life or whatever um i just always think that's such a fascinating deal that was one thing about that movie that really kind of just stood out to me yeah yeah it was interesting how analytics can play a part in a franchise you know and 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 sometimes it's not about uh the biggest strongest guy or the guy who hits 350 maybe it's about more of you get three or four good role players that make up for one really good player that you don't have to pay like $800 million to in baseball, which makes some sense if you get three players for the price of one. And that can be the issue with Washington moving forward. You know, if they want to uh, have Heineke as their quarterback, if they get him for a very good deal for the team financially, 
then you're able to keep Deron Payne. You're able to keep the receivers intact. You're able to go get another marquee free agent, maybe a left tackle or a center or whatever it might be, or two or three of them. Uh, maybe that's the way to go. If you get four for the price of one or five quarterback, you might be able to get six players for the price of one. Uh, that's not a bad way to go either because the franchise type quarterbacks that really change your team, they're hard to find. And you're not really good unless you try to reach for straws like a lot of teams do and they fail and then they get fired or whatever. But if you keep the same guy, you're able to surround him with marquee type players. Uh, you can still win a lot of games that way. Yeah. I was just thinking about the money ball thing. Like on the flip side, I was starting to think guys from your era, like a guy like Terrell Pryor to me always seemed like a money ball guy, but in reverse because he looks the part athletically. He's got the size, he's got the speed, but. I remember like watching early on. I was like, uh, I'm because like from a fantasy football perspective, people are projecting huge numbers, and I was just like, eh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not seeing it. Obviously, it didn't work out. Is that like sort of an example of a guy like the, the other end, like has all the stuff, but there if you're just looking, of, yeah, there have been a lot of guys that have passed the eyeball test. You're like, oh my god, look at this guy, and just have not lived up to the measurable uh, data that. Uh, is necessary for those positions, height, weight, speed. There's been a lot of players that have not performed to their, uh, <laughs> to their projections as far as that's concerned. And there have been a lot of guys that have overperformed uh, as, as compared to their protections. Those smaller guys, maybe not quite as fast, but are shifty, have great hands. I mean, look at Cooper Cup. He's a fourth-round pick. He wasn't quite the blazer blazer. Uh, he's not got the greatest size, but uh, he understands the game. He's unbelievable in and out of cuts. He's tough as hell going across the middle, um, smart. Um, always where he needs to be and very trustworthy with a quarterback and guys like that. You just can't really figure out until you get them on your team and get them on the field. Yeah, no, no doubt. Um, I right, well, before I let you go, speaking of perception, uh, there are five games to go, five weeks to go in the regular season, Washington, obviously on a bye. Then they come back to, pl- to play the giants uh, at San Francisco host Cleveland host uh, Dallas to end the year. Uh, when you look around the league right now, you know, uh, you know, it would have been probably easy to say, well, put Mahomes in the Super Bowl, but Josh Burrow or Joe Burrow just beat him or the Bengals beat them for the third third straight time. The NFC is insanely wide open. Buffalo feels like they've dipped a little bit, perhaps, but, you know, it's it, it, Philadelphia looks like they've come, come back from uh, losing to Washington. Where are you right now? Who Who, who do you think are sort of the legit legit you got to put people in the super bowl right now who who do you kind of see as the teams right now that you would have the most confidence in well i think the cream has risen to the top as far as the nfc is concerned i think philadelphia has uh, proved that they belong up there at the number one seed dallas is going to compete with them they're both top-notch teams minnesota i don't care what you say for them to blow through this division like they have and be uh the record uh dominance that they have in their division they have to be uh talked about without a doubt uh, San Francisco, despite losing uh, Garoppolo, the offensive line that they have and the defense that they have and the, uh, the weapons that they have, they still will be a big factor when it's all said and done. I think everybody else is going to be fighting for scraps. Uh, so it'll come through those four teams. Um, then AFC, obviously, Joe Burrow, uh, Mahomes, Josh Allen, those three teams will be battling for the Super Bowl. And you can go eight of the way. You can make an argument for all three of those teams. I just I don't think Tennessee's good enough. Um, and I don't think any of the wild card teams. Yeah. I just feel like a lot of times, you know, throughout the course of history, you feel like there are some wild card teams that could get in there. I mean, they're anytime you're good enough to make the playoffs, you feel like 
all those teams have a legitimate opportunity. To me, it just feels like the top teams are the top teams, and I feel very strongly that, you know, the top three or four teams in the NFC and the top three or four teams in the AFC, they're just a lot better than the rest. You know, the, the, those are the teams. It's going to be really hard to beat those guys uh, if you're a wild card team, in my opinion. Yeah, would 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 think so. All right. Well, look, you've got you've got uh, uh, links to tackle. You got to get out there and uh, do do your thing. Always appreciate the 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 time. Um, it's not a bye week for you, but so but the rest of us are going to try to get some sleep as well. Uh, I'm sure the players are as well. Uh, Jay, always appreciate the time. Good luck out there today, and uh, yeah, we'll, we'll talk next week. All right. Talk to you later. Thanks, See you, man.